Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Pittsburgh, especially with the sports media stations, they're so enamored with the argument over this Bumgarner seven innings of no-hit baseball, which is not going to be counted as a perfect game. Like, why is this so upsetting? And, and I don't understand it because we're talking about the Braves and we're talking about the, the Diamondbacks. Like, why does this matter in Pittsburgh? Dude, because there are probably about, I would say, two to maybe three people in Pittsburgh sports media that can actually talk baseball intelligently. It's the reason why we exist and the reason why we thrive. <laughs> because something comes up and they see it as a polarizing topic and then provide no actual intellect in the conversation whatsoever other than it should be a no-hitter because he didn't allow any hits. That's a dumb argument. That was too. like their that was like their biggest argument. Okay, so so first of all, what's your take? Just so we can get out of the way here on the show, what's your take on it? Should he get well, a no hitter? No, it, it should not be a no hitter. There's no way it should be a no hitter. We knew this was going to happen, Chris. We talked about this about the rules that you know Rob Manfred was bringing in, but this isn't just Rob Manfred. Like Madison Bumgarner goes on there and he says, and I'd like to thank. Rob Manfred for the seven inning games. But you know what, Madison, you forgot to thank some people out there. If I was giving a speech someplace, I would probably forget to thank some people. You need to thank Tony Clark. You need to thank all the representatives from all the teams because the MLBPA voted back in February to allow the seven inning no hitters back in. They allowed for the runner on second, which you mean the seven, the seven inning, the seven inning double headers. The seven-inning doubleheaders, yes. They allowed for the seven-inning doubleheaders because, you know what? It was a smart move because they didn't know how this season was going to be affected by COVID. Also because they didn't know, you know, how often they were going to have to, you know, it, it saves pitchers' arms. It does all this different stuff. But back in August last year when the seven-inning doubleheaders came in, Elias Sports Bureau, who has been the statisticians for the National League since 1916 and for all of baseball since 1987 because the American League and National League can never get anything sorted out together. So they they supplanted whoever it was for the American League. Basically said we are going to follow the 1991 rule that it has to be nine innings for it to be counted as a no-hitter. And now here, let me let me jump in real quick here because I think there's a really easy way to explain this to everybody because I was actually at the game that caused the rule. I was at the game that caused the rule, you know? I was actually, I, I was born on the south side of Chicago. 
And I was dropped off for a baseball game on July 1st, 1990, where the New York Yankees played the Chicago White Sox. And throughout the game, New York Yankees pitcher Andy Hawkins was throwing a no-hitter. I was right behind home plate, me and like three of my friends. Okay, little kid, though. And I mean, I'm probably like 13 years old at this point. He goes out and he's pitching a no-hitter. And in the eighth inning, two errors, two of them, I believe, both by Danny Tartable in the outfield, where he drops two fly balls in the same inning, brings around a runner, and a runner scores without a hit. And the White Sox are winning the game. So Andy Hawkins finishes off his game, and he hasn't given up any hits. And the White Sox win the game because nobody scores any runs to tie the game in the top of the ninth for the Yankees. And Andy Hawkins has a no-hitter, but he only pitched eight innings because he doesn't have to come out in the bottom of the ninth because the home team was winning, and he's awarded a no-hitter. A year later, Faye Vincent, the last real commissioner of Major League Baseball before the owners took over by giving Bud Selig the role, and then we went down this this spiral of every decision is now made in the best interest of money instead of in the best interest of the game. The last commissioner of baseball, Faye Vincent, said it's not fair to compare his no-hitter to those of players that played the full nine innings because then he's getting credit and never had to get those last three guys out, so we're going to make a rule going forward that it has to be nine innings, and he took the no-hitter away from Andy Hawkins. So at this point, if they were to start awarding these seven-inning games as no-hitters, they would be going against that precedent. Now, you could make the argument, change the precedent, but I would immediately make the argument that Faye Vincent was right. The third time through an order is so difficult for a pitcher to get through. I mean, the, the batters have now seen you another time. And guess what? Think about Carlos Rodon earlier on this year, who had a perfect game with one out in the ninth. It was, it was that third time through the order. It was, it was him having to throw weird pitches that he hadn't thrown yet. It, 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 was, it was trying to outsmart guys with all these it, it pitches on your arm. He's at like 110 or 112 pitches when it turns into a no-hitter instead of a perfect game because he hits somebody's shoelace. It's those little things that you have to get through in the eighth and the ninth inning. That's the reason it was taken away from Andy Hawkins in 1991. That's the reason why it's not a no-hitter now. You can make the argument that you're you're upset about it. You want to call it a seven-inning no-hitter? Call it a seven-inning no-hitter. But the argument doesn't make a lot of sense to me because what we're doing is, as fans, we're arguing with each other over this. What we really should be doing is being angry about seven-inning games. These seven-inning doubleheaders are a scam put on by Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association. It's a way for players to play less innings and still get paid the same amount of money. It's a way for ownership to to provide service for less innings and still get paid the full price for a ticket. Pretty much every team, not all of them, I've seen one or two of them do it where it's a straight doubleheader, but pretty much all teams so far when games have been canceled have made them split doubleheaders. So you can't argue it's done because of COVID because after you've been in there for seven innings, they usher you out, they bring in a completely new crowd. They actually expose the people that are working in the ballpark to twice the amount of people in a single day. And there's no way they've been able to wipe down every one of those seats and clean them all in between. It's a money grab. And what they're doing is they're charging you full price for only seven innings of product. And this is a ripoff formed by the Players Association and Major League Baseball against you and I, the fans. 
where we're paying full price, but guess what? Beer gets cut off earlier. We're paying full price, but guess what? You don't get the full nine-inning experience. You and I are being ripped off in a shell game. Don't get mad at each other over whether or not you agree or disagree over the fact this should be a no-hitter. Be mad about the fact that seven-inning games even exist because it is a slight on the fans. We suffer the most from seven-inning games, especially the paying customer. And that's the argument that should be had right now. We're too busy fighting amongst ourselves while the rich get richer and we, the fans, are arguing over this stupid thing right here. That's the precedent. If you want to change the precedent, change it for everybody. Give Andy Hawkins his no-hitter back. It'd be cool to say I was at a no-hitter where a pitcher lost. I want to say that. I have the ticket stub still. So I'm fine with it. Just posthumously award it back to him again. That's fine. But whatever the standard is, make it. But the real thing we should be talking about are these seven-inning games that are ripping off fans where you're paying full price for a ticket and you're only getting seven innings of product. Oh, wow, Chris. I don't even know what to say to that. I was just trying to be right against the Pittsburgh media and you... Just went right against that. It's everybody. an absolute truth bomb. It's an, I mean, like, seriously, explain to me why you and I, a fan, are paying $40 for a ticket, depending on where you're at, or $25 for a ticket, wherever you're sitting at, or something like that. You're paying 20 bucks for parking. You're bringing the whole family down. You got to buy your kids hot dogs and everything else like that. And you don't get a full game. If you're going to give me a seven inning game, then you know what you should do? Give these seven innings prices. Start prorating these things if you're not going to give me a full product. The only people that get that get hurt by a seven-inning game are the ticketed public. The ticketed public, not the people at home. People at home love it. Oh, I get two games in, and I still got time to go walk the dog, okay? But the ticketed public, like, think about it this way. If you had tickets to a Pirates game right now, and that Pirates game was rained out, and they told you after you bought it and paid full price, that you would return in a month when that team came back in the town and you were going to be part of a split doubleheader. First of all, who's buying at full price when those tickets go up for sale because all these teams are releasing the tickets in little groups here because of COVID because they don't know how many tickets they can release. Who's buying a seven-inning game? Nobody's buying a seven-inning game, okay? Any smart fan is going to say, why would I give you full price for seven innings, okay? So they're not going to make that much more money out of it because you're going to have a capacity of what, 10,000 and you're going to get what, two? Because people aren't going to pay for that crap. And then what you have is you have the people that went and you're not giving them a refund. You're not giving them a voucher. No, what you're giving them is less of a product than what they paid for. It's not a rain out. This is a rule that was made in advance, knowing that you could cut your overhead. You could cut the amount of hours you had to pay the people inside the stadium, but you could still make the same amount of money off of the people walking in. This is an absolute shell game, these seven inning things. The owners get to pay their employees less money, expose them to more people during a pandemic, and walk away with more money with a seven inning doubleheader. And the players benefit from getting paid the exact same amount of money for playing less. The people that have the tickets are the ones that suffer the most. But we're too busy arguing over whether or not that should be a no hitter. Because they're like, hey, look over here. Look over here. Squirrel, look over here. And we all have ADD and we're looking at it. And we're not paying attention to the real thing. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. The man behind the curtain is the guy who's ripping you off for a seven-inning game. People should be mad about that right now. They should be mad that they were denied the ability. All those ticketed fans were denied the ability to see if Madison Bumgarner could finish that game off and go nine. Okay? They were all ripped off, and they still had to pay full price to be ripped off. And I'm still trying to figure out 
like we were talking about before the show, Chris, why the Pittsburgh media was so engulfed in this conversation. Uh, because they got nothing else to talk about. I, you know, look, man, I, I did radio out in Pittsburgh for in, in Wheeling, West Virginia. I was on a station called Womp FM that broadcasted in the Pittsburgh. I spent an awful lot of time in Pittsburgh. There's some issues there with the sports radio in Pittsburgh. There really is. There's a, there's a, I, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody out there because there's a couple of people out there that are very talented, but there's a definite wasteland of talent out there. There's a definite group of people in front of a microphone that probably shouldn't be in front of a microphone. And they don't know what else to do. And it's really easy show prep to just look and see what are the top five things trending on Twitter and then just try to have an opinion over the whole thing. And then that's not good radio. And that's not that's not good for your fan base. I don't know why they all caught on to it, because guess what? The Pirates are actually playing well. You should be spending more time on the Pirates. I spent too much time yelling about this, but this is a sore point for me because I get really angry about being ripped off, especially by millionaires and billionaires. So I went off on a tangent here and I didn't want to talk about this much. But when we come back, I want to talk about the Pirates because the Pittsburgh Pirates are actually winning more games than I expected them to win as we started the season. And there's guys that actually look good doing it. And that's what they should be talking about on the radio, but they don't. And that's why you have Bucks in the Basement found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BucksInTheBasement.com. Hey gang, ever wonder what it's like to be a small business owner? It's confusing. Weird expenses coming out of nowhere. And when you throw in health insurance, forget it. Nobody understands how that works. If you own a business, big or small, it's one of the biggest expenses you have all year long. And yet, we all wait until open enrollment at the end of the year. And then we think to ourselves, next year, next year I'll get a jump on it. And then it's another year of paying way too much. If you're a business owner, big or small, HR representative that wants to impress the boss, give Butch Zemar of Elite Benefits of America a call. Save yourself or your boss thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year. Reach out to Butch right now, 708-535-3006, or shoot him an email, butch at elitebenefits.net. And be sure to check out the Zemar podcast. Don't wait till the last minute. Put Butch Zemar to work for you now. I didn't plan on screaming during the podcast. I want to I want to make sure that you understand that. But I had to coach a <laughs> T-ball game tonight. I had to coach a T-ball game right before we sat down at the bar. And and I, I wasn't even going to drink tonight. I was just going to have a beer maybe with dinner when I finally got home. I got home and poured myself the biggest glass of bourbon you've ever seen. I got the Woodford Reserve here with the big rock in the middle of the glass. And I just need to come down because my nerves are shot because I've been hurting cats, essentially. That's what that's what being a T-ball coach is. You might as well be out there hurting cats. And that's what I've been doing all evening with a bunch of children that are picking up dirt and drawing pictures and, you know, throwing dirt at each other. And, you know, one kid almost hit me in the in the crotch with a bat and I dove out of the way. And all the parents just kind of stand there. And nobody, every single dad goes, hey, coach, you need any help? Yeah, I need help. All right, you let me know when you need it. No, I need it right now. And then they just walk away. Like, <laughs> like they all pretend like they want to help, but nobody wants to help. So so I don't want to yell anymore because I am angry about what I talked about at the beginning of this podcast. But like, I also feel that vein at the top of my forehead ready to explode. So I got to calm down. So let's talk about something good. Let's talk about the Pirates so far. How do you feel at this point? Because I don't think that they're going to continue to play at this pace. But this is a this ball club is finding ways to win and showing showing some good signs. There's guys that you've got to be excited about, and they're doing it without Cabrian. Yeah, I mean, Chris, it has been a little bit. I don't want to say like overwhelming, but it's 
it's been a little bit unexpected just because, you know, Cabrian goes out in the second game. We start out one and six. You don't know what to expect from, you know, the starting rotation. You know, Trevor Cahill going out there every fifth day. Mitch Keller was, has been struggling off and on. Tyler Anderson's been, you know, kind of middling through and, and putting together something, you know, maybe better than we expected. J.T. Brubaker uh, just going out there and, and pitching extremely well. J.T. Brubaker is the ace of your staff right now. I will. I told you I would not say ace at any point in time. He's the ace. Maybe of this right season. Now. He's your best. Stat. He's your best pitcher. He's your best pitcher right now. Like if JT Brubaker turns into what you were sitting around telling us about him two years ago, then then we're in good shape because Craig was the one that was sitting there going to minor league games, going, "Yeah, Mitch Keller looks pretty good, but JT Brubaker's the truth." And I was like, "Really? He's not on any list. You don't see him on the MLB top one hundred pipeline." He goes, "I'm watching him pitch. And that guy can pitch." And, and, and you know what? He's showing it. He's got that moxie. He's got that. He's got mental fortitude that we're still waiting for Keller to figure out. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the game on Friday night that he just pitched where, you know, J.A. Happ is going out there and working his way through a no hitter. But yet J.T. Brubaker is coming out like every single inning up until like and through the seventh inning and almost matching him pitch for pitch. Now, the one pitch that he threw was like up around the eyeballs and it got launched out there. I mean, that wasn't a bad pitch. I don't think too many people were actually swinging at that pitch. And then he let one out there. I think it was for Jake Cave or somebody. And he put it out. But the rest of the time, it, it was almost like he was kind of dueling Hap thinking, you know what? I, I maybe I have a no hitter too. Maybe I'm trying to keep my team in this game because if we get one guy on and hit a home run, this game's tied. So I mean it the way he pitches, man, I I loved it. I texted Gary in the middle of the game and I told him, I said, I love watching JT Brubaker pitch. I love it. Listen, but by, by the time that people digest this show and we get to the next show, I could sound like a complete idiot. But we talked right be, right at the end of last week's episode. And I said, we're running into the buzzsaw of American League teams. Because American League teams habitually have better hitting. And the Tigers are in a rebuild, but they're a year in front of the Pirates. And the Twins are supposed to be competing for a, a division and are expected to make the postseason, at least in some way. And we said, remember? Remember when we did the predictions? You were giving, I said, over, under two and a half games. You picked the under. Yeah, and you picked the over. You picked three. I picked the over because I thought they'd get three. They got four. They took two out of three on the road against the Tigers and two out of three on the road against the Minnesota Twins. Like, and now they're going to get two against the Royals this week and three against the Cardinals. And, no, and after watching the way that they're playing right now, like the Royals are a good team. They're in first place in their division. Let's say they split that. They could take two out of three from the from the Cardinals, though. I don't see why that's impossible. And and again, the team will end up one further game above uh, uh, with one more win than their losses. They can go three and two in this next five game stretch because that's really all they're going to have from the day this show comes out until the next time. Well, actually, Monday they'll play the Padres. They'll lose that game. The Padres are going to sweep them. You, I don't know if you've been watching this Padres Dodgers series. The, anytime that's been insane. You, anytime you play the Padres or Dodgers, they're just going to beat you. But as I look at their schedule right now, after they get three against the Padres early next week, they get the Cubs. The Cubs suck. 
They get the Reds. The Reds are terrible, and Castillo can't do anything right now for them. He's a guy who's a here's a here's a Cy Young caliber pitcher that's gone in the in the in the tank. The Giants don't scare me. The Cardinals, like I said, they don't scare me. The Braves are pretty good, but that's May 20th when you run into them. Where, where are you going to be in nearly a month? You, you, you're gonna be, you might have a winning record. You might have a winning record through the first month and a half of the season, and we might have to sit here and pretend it's not a rebuild, Craig, even though we both know that at some point the hammer's got to drop on this team, right? I look at this roster, and somebody was like having a conversation with me on Twitter, and I forget who it was, and I wish I could you know, give them credit for this because we had a back and forth and they said, you know, we have like pretty much one more draft of players that would, you know, be within Ben Sherrington's window. So it's got to be some of the players from this team. It's got to be some of the players who are in the minors right now and maybe a couple guys from, you know, this upcoming draft. And that would be, you know, the beginning of hopefully when the window would open. I, I don't I don't believe that. I think that's wrong. I, I don't. I don't you're telling me that you think your window opens what in twenty twenty two? No, and that's that's where I'm saying that there would be a decent amount of guys on here. There would be guys within the system and there would be guys from this year's draft. The guys from this year's draft, I wouldn't look for the guys from this year's draft. Even if they were on like an excelled path, they wouldn't get here or arrive here until twenty twenty three. And I'm not saying that that's when the team would start winning like immediately at that point oh, in time. Oh no, because uh, rookies are always terrible at the beginning, and they have to make adjustments. Yeah. You get you got to wait until those guys are. Re- you have to look at your team and say whatever we bring up, then we have to add another year before you can really start saying that that's your team. Yeah, but I'm just I'm saying, Chris, like there's probably a decent amount of a decent amount more guys here that could contribute than I think we're giving the team credit for, just because of. The fact that we don't have many guys on this team that have less than like a couple years of control. There's a decent amount of guys that have a lot of years of control. A lot of good things would have to happen, but this is still me pushing back towards 2024, 2025 with this because a lot of the guys that Ben Sherrington went out and got are like 18, 19 years old. I, I got to ask you this question. Do you think that secretly Ben Charrington's like, stop winning so much? I don't want a 15th draft pick in the first round. I don't want to be a 500 team. You know, because here's the thing. I don't know if you're going to catch the Brewers to win the division. And the Cardinals are going to be a good team, but you might be able to compete with them. Cubs and the Reds, you want to convince me that they're better than the Cubs and the Reds? We can have a conversation. I think that that's obvious. I think they could be better than the Cubs and the Reds. And then that becomes like a concern because you know that you're not there yet, but you're too talented to end up like how a lot of teams rebuild. Like you, when the Astros went into that long rebuild, that built what they are now. And take out the cheating thing, but let's be honest. I mean, it helped them a little bit. But, I mean, they still had some really talented players. Those guys were all number one overall picks Springer and Correa were both number one overall picks in back-to-back years. If I'm not mistaken, Altuve was like a top five pick. Like all these guys came to them because they were in the dumps for several years. That's how they got that core. And you have the opportunity to grab one of those really core players. But if you play your way out of the top 10 draft choices, you don't have that opportunity. 
And, and, and if you don't think that that's worth anything to you, I, I want to I wanna ask you, what do you think about the fact that there's there are, play, there are teams out there right now that are playing guys that were drafted in not the 2020 draft, but the 2019 draft that are on the field right now. There are right. guys that were drafted in the top 10 picks of the 2019 draft that have already made it to the major leagues because that's, that's the kind of turnaround you're going to get. And even if some of them didn't make it to the major leagues yet, they're going to make it to the majors in a year or two. I mean, look at a Jared Kalinick out of uh, Seattle. You think you're going to get that talent? You think you're going to pick that guy up in, in, in the draft if you're picking in, you know, look at an Andrew Vaughn out of Chicago. I mean, you're not going to get that pure of a hitter that early. You're not going to get a guy that people are expecting. I mean, people think that guy's going to end up being a Hall of Famer one day. And they're talking about that, and he's, he's, he played 50 games in single A, and they promoted him to the Major League Club this year. You're not getting that talent if you're going to hang around 500. So do you think that Charrington secretly, even though he won't say it out loud, it bothers him how many games they're winning? We're 22 games into the season, man. I, I don't think that Charrington's... But look at, the, look at the schedule. Look at the schedule. They could win a lot of games here in the first couple of months. They're going to play the Marlins, who suck. The Marlins suck. Let's be honest. The Marlins like got lucky because it was a 60-game schedule. And the fact that they, they, because of COVID, I think they got to sit out for like two weeks and they got to play less games than everybody else and got in on percentage points in the playoffs. I mean, they're not a good team. You're playing them coming up. I mentioned all the teams you got coming up. You're going to, you're going to run through these games. You, you should, you could, you could realistically be above 500 on Memorial day. And we've been there before and we've still fallen to, I, I, I mean, I am not saying that this team is as bad as a lot of people imagined it, but I also don't believe that the team is as good as some people believe they are right now. I, I think that there's some guys that have caught in fire at times who are now coming back down to earth again. Philip Evans. You know, luckily uh, we have Brian Reynolds coming back oh. and, and proving that, you know, last year was a fluke, and I told you, I told you last year, didn't I? I know. Not, did I not tell you last year? I you said did. he's got he's a first time expecting father in the age yeah. of COVID. I got I got friends of mine. I have one friend of mine who spent last year with a wife that had just had a baby and just found out she was pregnant in the age of COVID. You know how crazy she drives him on a daily basis. Like I I listened to him talk about. It. He's like I. Ugh. I mean, like, I thought pregnancy, I thought, and it's no offense, ladies, but you know it's true, okay? There are biological and physiological changes going on when you're pregnant. We caused it. We're the bad guy. Send us to hell. But you can't deny that there isn't that going on. And this guy was dealing with that and COVID restrictions and the travel, and you could actually see the splits from home and on the road. He was a different player. Yeah. When he went on the road... And he, I think it was when he got went on the road and he got a break. He was doing okay. I got, I'd have to go back and look at it. But when he was at home and his wife was there, it was brutal. It could have been the opposite too. It could have been when, or, I, I, or it could have been that she was calling him all the time while he was on the road. But we saw these weird splits. And then after, and then like right around the birth, he actually like I don't think got a hit for like two weeks. So I said that last year. Like this guy is a young dude with a young wife who's having her first baby in the middle of a pandemic. And he's stressed. 
I knew yeah. Brian Reynolds was going to come back. I knew he was going to come back. That's got to be a good feeling for Pirates fans because you add him and Cabrion and you see Brubaker pitching really well. I mean, you're starting to find guys that you know are going to be around in a couple years when this team's ready to start winning. Yeah, and the big thing for me last week, Chris, we were talking about before I, you know, in our last show, what would Mitch Keller look like in his start? Mitch Keller looked like the pitcher I want to see in his last start. He was a guy that when he gave up a hit, he gave up a home run, he gave up whatever it would be. That would be the, normally the time that he would crumble. At that point in time, he didn't. Do I think that he could have a couple more bad starts like during this season? Yeah, he could. But he has to start building on those good starts. Right now it's been bad start, good start, bad start, good start. I saw something different this last time. Can he come out and have the same type of start? Yes. Do I think he's as likely to come out and have a terrible start? Possibly, because I honestly don't know what's going on with that kid. He just does not have the same fill that Brubaker does. Like I hate to keep talking about that, but people have See, said... like, right if, now, if he, you, the way you were talking about it, I was like, oh... Craig finally saw what he saw in JT Brubaker and Mitch Keller. And then you just, you just ruined it for me. I think every fan listening to you was like, oh my gosh, Craig thinks that Mitch Keller looks different. And you still don't think he's got what uh, Brubaker has, do you? I got to, I got to see one more start, man. If I could, if I could see two starts in a row, it has to be at least a couple games in a row that I would see him pitch like he did last time. He actually looked like a different pitcher last time because he pitched most of the time in the zone uh, when he gave up a hit, you saw the first pitch go out of the zone, but then you saw Stallings. It was the big thing for me is just kind of gave him that head nod that said, no, let's go back in. Let's see what these guys have. And he went back in the zone with him and, and he changed like his makeup for that game. It, it was, it was actually kind of cool to watch the relationship with, between him and Stallings on that, uh, in that game and the exchanges that they were having, because it was just basically like, dude, just trust your stuff. Come back in the zone. These guys can't touch it. And even if they, you know, you hang one and they hit it out, go out at the next guy. And the biggest thing for me this time is he did not walk a single player the entire time he was out there, which has always been his fault because usually that home run would turn into a, you know, three-run home run as opposed to, you know, the solo or the, you know, the, the two-run shot that he would give up. Believe me, those make differences in those types of games. So let's see how he comes out against Kansas City, who is playing hot right now. So, you know, can he shut some of that down? And some of the Kansas City stuff, it's coming from the pitching. I know that as well. But you know what? Hitting has to come for them to be, well, I think they were 13-7 and seven right now. So Mitch Keller's start this time is, in my opinion, his biggest start of this early season. Baseball is littered with pitchers that have talent but can't figure out how to get over giving up a big hit or a home run and start trying to paint corners and are unable to throw strikes. And the simplicity of pitching is you have to throw strikes. And when you describe that game, that shows that he was throwing strikes, didn't walk anybody, went right back after them after the home run. And that might be something that they're working on with him. And that might be the psychological break that he needs because 
baseball is littered with players that can't figure it out until somebody convinces him of that. We talked about Luis Castillo of the Reds. That guy was awful until about midway through 2018 and started throwing strikes. He's awful now because he's not throwing any strikes. You look at the best closer in baseball. I saw this uh, mentioned on uh, MLB Network, Liam Hendricks. And he had a terrible career. Go look him up one time. Like he's he's considered to be the best closer in baseball over the last three years. Look up his like baseball reference, his stats. He's brutally bad for like 10 years. You know what he credits it to? Understanding that if you're going to hit it, hit it, but I'm not throwing any more balls. I'm throwing everything in the zone and I'm just going to trust myself. A lot of it comes down to trusting yourself. If Mitch Keller starts doing that, the Pirates should be excited. You as fans should be excited. I'm excited because we got through 30 minutes here and we didn't even have to talk about Todd Frazier. That's awesome. I know you wanted to and I was able to push you through it. This is Bucks in the Basement. You're going to have to wait till next week, Craig. Found everywhere podcasts can be found and always at BucksInTheBasement.com. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing but then the next day.